I invite you this morning to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, and we'll begin reading in a moment or two in chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Before I jump into the message today, I I, want to just share something with the church and really with the Nacogdoches community, and I don't mean to be sentimental and uh, certainly uh, I'm not looking for a pat on the back in any way uh, whatsoever, but today is a very important day for me uh, because it was five years ago this Sunday uh, that I stood to address my church uh, that I had pastored for 14 years uh, in Heath, Ohio, and share a very important announcement with them. And uh, I shared with them in this worship service uh, five years ago uh, that God had called me uh, to be pastor uh, at First Baptist Church in a city that none of them had ever heard of, uh, the city of of Nacogdoches. Uh, Turned out several of them had, and they even had some connections here. I'm not sure how word didn't get out ahead of time uh, but it was, um, it was a big day, and I remember it just uh, as if it were yesterday. Uh, it was a big day for a number of reasons. One was just relief. Uh, this had uh, been something that we had been praying about for a while, and, and, and this church had been praying about, and uh, it's just uh, hard to live with a secret, right? And we were so in love with uh, our church family there and with those people there And it was a relief to finally be able to stand up and say out loud uh, what uh, had been going on behind the scenes for a number of weeks. Uh, It was also a time of excitement. We certainly were excited about uh, God's call upon our life to come here to First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches. uh, We had uh, spent a number of weeks uh, studying the church and researching the church and watching services online and learning about the community and and praying and and hearing from the search team. And we were excited, very excited, that the Lord had called us here. Uh, But it was also a time of sadness and even, uh, if I were honest uh, with you, a time of uh, of fear, uh, just because we loved where we were. Uh, God had uh, put us in a place amongst people who had loved us and cared for us uh, more so Uh, than perhaps any other place we'd ever been. And we've never been in a place where we've had a bad experience. Uh, We have uh, loved every place that the Lord has assigned us. But uh, just the thought of leaving those people who uh, were our best friends, my best friends, my wife's best friends, my kids' best friends, and uh, they had been such a part of our life. Our girls, our oldest two girls really were raised in Ohio. They didn't Uh, know anything else, couldn't remember really anything else. And then Ray, my youngest daughter, we adopted her while we were uh, there at the church in Ohio. And so they were a part of all of that. And then there was a lot to be a part of as we prayed through that and and just all of the normal uh, obstacles that come with with an adoption. And they were with us through all of that. And and then our kids just, uh, they loved it. We had a We had a school situation, which was sort of unique, but it was the perfect situation for us. We loved the schools. 
Uh, we loved uh, the house that the Lord had allowed us to purchase. Uh, we loved our staff. Uh, some of my best friends were uh, the staff members, the ministers, and others that I was able to work with. And it was scary uh, to, uh, to think about walking away from that. Uh, but that brings me to what I want to say today. Uh, God has uh, obviously brought us here, and uh, you have been patient enough to let us stick around for a few years. We're thankful for that. Uh, but you have loved me and my family more than I ever could have anticipated. And you have supported us and you have encouraged us. You have accepted us and loved on us. Uh, this church and this community uh, far beyond anything that we even prayed for. You have loved our kids and uh, you have shown them love and uh, my while my oldest child never really lived in Nacogdoches, she moved here and then immediately went off to college. My, uh, my other two kids uh, definitely see this as home. Uh, we love the house that we live in. Uh, we have loved the school system here. And the school has, uh, uh, we've been a part of three schools in the area and all of them have just been so, so good to us. And we have been pleased with them and they have supported our, our children. And, um, and so it's been, it's been above and beyond anything that we had imagined. And so here's what I want to say. I'm getting to my point, then we'll get to the, to the scripture, which is why we've gathered. Uh, I've not always uh, gotten everything right. Uh, there have certainly been uh, some far less than perfect days and there will be some more. <laughs> just, uh, just wait. We'll make more mistakes, I'm sure. But your love and support and encouragement uh, through all of this has been for us a precious gift from the Lord. And I think together we've been able to see the Lord do some great things. But it has. Um, but the Lord has brought us to a place in five years where, where uh, I, I just must stand and say to this church and to Nacogdoches, thank you for loving me and loving my family and accepting us into your family. We have found a home and we're thankful to you and we're thankful to the Lord. So. Now, Ephesians chapter five. Uh, as you know, we've been working on the book of Ephesians for a number of months, and we're in a very practical part of the book as we've been uh, looking at chapter five and six and bouncing back and forth a little bit. Uh, but today we come back to the very beginning uh, of chapter five, at least the beginning in as much as it's before the main focus people think of when we think of husbands and wives and marriage and that's what people look to in chapter five. But we come to these very practical verses and I wanna read just uh, two of them today, verses 15 and 16. And I think here what we're going to see are some instructions for dynamic living. And, and I'll tell you when I, when I chose that title for the message, I, I was hesitant about it. I'm still a little bit hesitant about it. Uh, because when you say we're going to give instructions for dynamic living, it, 
it can sound a lot like it's, it's going to be a message you might hear from your favorite uh, television evangelist, that this uh, might be something that uh, Paula White or Joel Osteen would preach, you know, just how to be happy. And, and, and it might not be scriptural. It might not be a gospel message. But, 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 but I want you to see that the Bible does give us wisdom and counsel that is rooted in the gospel, that, that is a scriptural mandate, a scriptural blessing for us for how that we can live a dynamic life. And, and so uh, while we have to be careful when we preach that we're preaching the whole counsel of God's word, and of course everything has to fit into the gospel, I, I think what we'll see in these two verses, I plan to do three, we're going to hold one for the next sermon, uh, but in these two verses that we'll look at today, we're, we're going to see those first steps in how you and I can live a life that is so dynamic that it brings joy to us, and it brings honor and glory to God. It brings joy to us that is contagious in the world and then honor and glory to God that draws people to him. How can we live a dynamic life in Christ? So let's, let's look at verse 15. He says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise people. Uh, it's important here to, to, to see the role that wisdom has. Don't walk, don't live as an unwise person, but live as a person of wisdom. And this is something that all of us need to hear, right? No matter what season of life you find yourself in, you need to know, we need to know both the importance of living by God's wisdom not lean on, leaning on our own understanding, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, but leaning upon God's wisdom in every decision that we make. And I know that sometimes, well, every time when we gather on a Sunday morning, there are people here, some who have a broken heart. Some of you have come here this morning and, and, and maybe people around you know or maybe they're completely unaware, but we have people gathered here today that are brokenhearted over something. We have people who are gathered who are weary and they're just ready to quit. They're ready to quit their job. Maybe they're ready to quit their marriage. Maybe they're ready to quit on God. They're just ready to quit. We've got people here who are angry. We've got people here who are under the crush of guilt. And then we have people here that are just flying high. Everything seems to be going well. Um, but this need for wisdom is a need that all of us have. No matter what phase of life, no matter what season of life you're in, you need wisdom. It's also true no matter the spiritual temperature of your heart. I know that people are here and watching online and watching our broadcast, some who have a heart that's just ice cold. They have no interest in the things of God. And you're listening, you're watching, you're here because it's expected of you or somebody has, has uh, forced you to be here. And, and they've done that out of love perhaps, but you have an icy heart and, and you don't want to hear from the Lord. Or, or, or maybe you're here and your heart is, is just absolutely on fire. You have never loved God more than you love him right now. You have a passion for the word and passion for serving and, and, and a passion for sharing the gospel. Or maybe you're just somewhere in the middle. You just, you know, you can take it or leave it. No matter where you are with the temperature of your spiritual heart, 
All of us need wisdom. This is important for all of us. You know, I preach out of the CSB translation of the Bible, uh, Christian Standard Bible, but I know that, that here in our uh, worship centers, our our, our campus, we have people with all different kinds of translations. And so when I prepare to preach, I try to read the verse in, in all the different major translations just to see if there's something that, uh, uh, that, that, that might be interesting or might call some people to ask some questions so that I could uh, perhaps speak to that. And, and when I read this verse out of the King James Version, and I'm sure some of you have that, uh, that version of the Bible, uh, there's a word here that I just love. It's the word, and it's a word that we never use today. I never use this word, uh, but it's the word circumspectly. When was the last time you used that? Pull it out tomorrow at work and just, just, just slip it in there. You don't even have to get it right because nobody else knows what it means e either, but they'll be impressed with you and just say, uh, listen, I, I've done that circumspectly, and they'll think, wow, you deserve a raise. So... <laughs> It says in the King James that we should walk circumspectly. And I'm a little nervous about this because we had a uh, Latin expert join our church here in recent weeks. So I hope I don't get this wrong. Uh, but it, is a, it comes from two Latin words. Circum means circle, right? You would have recognized that. And spectly, uh, we get our word spectacle uh, from, from that. It means to watch or to look. So circumspectly, at least in my mind, means that we look all around the perimeter, that we look in every direction, that we look all the way to the edge. We should walk with an awareness of what's going on, wisdom, circumspect wisdom, use the word you want to use, but the command here is to walk as a wise person. Now, I do want you to see one more thing here in verse 15 before we go on to the next verse. It is the most important word in the verse. Uh, look back and see if you could pick it out. What do you think is the most important word? It says again, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. I think the most important word here is the word then, then, T-H-E-N. You wouldn't have picked that one, would you? Uh, but just circle that. We'll come back to it in a moment or two. I think that's the key word in the verse. So let's look at verse 16. He says, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Making the most of the time. Your Bible might say redeeming the time. How many of us feel time pressure? How many of us feel like there are more things to do than there is time to do it? But did you know, did you know that God has given you enough time to do everything that he wants you to do and he's given you enough time to do it with grace and with peace? Now I can tell you your pastor struggles with this more than most and that's not a, a, a badge of honor, that is a, um, well if anything a lack of trust in the Lord. We'll talk about this as we go through it. But the very opposite of what you would read in a productivity book or a self-help book. The truth of scripture is that time is the one thing that we have plenty of, right? I mean, nobody wants to give me an amen because you don't believe me. 
And uh, that's okay. I'm not sure I believe it either. But the Bible says that time is one thing that you have plenty of. And I want to try to convince you and me of that uh, before the the message is over. I uh, was writing a uh, lecture about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, a lecture that I'm going to uh, give uh, at Southern Seminary here in a, in a few weeks. Uh, it's a lecture on the life of Samuel Pierce. Uh, not a name you're probably familiar with. I wasn't familiar with him. Born in 1766, so 10 years before the revolution. Uh, lived in England. He was a preacher, a uh, Baptist preacher, in fact. And uh, he is studied today because he accomplished so much. And so this lecture, the assignment was, uh, Noel, give a lecture on the life of Samuel Pierce that people could appreciate his walk with the Lord and just his great accomplishment. So I, I didn't know anything about him. I'm preparing my, my, uh, my presentation, my lecture. I, I, uh, I start at the beginning of his life. Wouldn't that be a good place to start? And, and I'm just writing and I'm figuring out what did he do and then what did he do next and what did he do next? And uh, I wrote this and discovered a lot of very interesting things about him. He, he was a prolific writer. He wrote stuff that uh, influenced churches and pastors and governments throughout England and, and, and really in America and, and beyond. He was a prolific writer. He also was a supporter of William Carey. And if you know your church history, you'll know a little bit about William Carey, the father of the modern missions movement. So uh, the things that churches do today, sending out missionaries, supporting missionaries, that really started or started again with William Carey. And the engine behind and the money behind William Carey was Samuel Pierce. And so in some ways, he's responsible for the modern mission movement. He was a very popular preacher. He traveled all over the place. It's amazing all the places he traveled uh, on horses and mules and in boats, but he traveled all over the place. Then he ended up getting tuberculosis in 1799 and he died. Um, when I got to that part of my study, it, um, it dawned on me. He died at 33 years old, 33 years old. And I didn't realize how young he had died until I, maybe I'm not a very good researcher, but I didn't know that until I got to it. I had already really written the lecture and then I get to the end of the lecture. When did he die? This man only lived 33 years and he got all of this done and he didn't have a computer and he didn't have a cell phone and he didn't have a Raina. I don't know how he got any of this done. Raina's somebody that does most of my work behind the scenes here. Uh, Some people would say that Samuel Pierce's life was cut short, but it wasn't cut short. He had plenty of time to do everything that God wanted him to do, which by the way is more than most of us will will ever do. And then it, it occurred to me, somebody else died at 33 years old. It got some things accomplished. You know who that was? Jesus Christ. Uh, We have plenty of time. And then if I had more time, I was then going to lead you to verse 17, and, but I don't. And so we're going to hold that off for, uh, for a week or two. Uh, and, and I just want to get into the question here, just from those two verses. And we'll look at the rest of them here in this section over the next few weeks. But just from these two verses, uh, what are the keys, what are the secrets to living a dynamic life for Christ? Now, before I tell you what they are, 
And I am trying to build a little suspense here. Uh, let me tell you why it's important that we know this. It's important that we know how to live a dynamic life, first of all, because of the gift that God has given to us. Now, I told you, I believe the most important word in verse 15 is the word then. And here's why. As I, as I read through this passage in preparation for this message over and over and over, and sometimes things don't stand out to you until you read them a bunch of times. But I'm reading chapter 5 and chapter 4 and 5 and then 3, 4 and 5 and then 2, 3, 4 and 5 over and over and over. And then something occurs to me. This, this section is filled with these connecting words like then and therefore. And they're connecting words that look backwards. If you say, then I did something, you're saying that something happened before that has now led you to do something, right? So then is a connecting word, but it's a connecting word that looks backwards. It's not like the word and, that doesn't necessarily look backwards, but then always looks backwards. Therefore always looks backwards. And I noticed it's just amazing how many times those words pop up here in, here in Ephesians. And I'll just run through this as quickly as I can, but we see the then here in verse 15 of chapter five, but also in chapter five, uh, in verse 14, we see the word therefore. In verse seven, we see the word therefore. In verse one, we see the word therefore. We go back to chapter four, verse 25, we see therefore. Verse 17, therefore. Verse 14, we see then. Verse one, we see therefore. And then we go to chapter three, we see then in verse 13, then in verse 19, then in verse 11. And it's all the way back until you get to chapter one, there are no connecting words. At least none that look back. And it's all because of this. The whole book of Ephesians, at least chapters two through six, uh, there are six chapters in, in Ephesians, the last five chapters, they all look back to something that is announced in chapter one. So there's an, uh, there's an announcement in chapter one and then, and then everything else is just because of that, because of that, because of that. And so really Ephesians one, there's an announcement, that's the whole book. And then all the rest of the chapters just tell us what follows from that announcement. And so what was that announcement? Well, if you look back at chapter 1, verse 4, it says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace. What did he announce in verse 1? is that we can have a right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And, be, and God is so good and he is so loving that though we're separated from him because of our sin, he has made a way through Jesus that we can be right with God. Forgiven, adopted into God's family forever and ever and ever. Verse 11 says, in him we also received an inheritance. That refers to heaven. That refers to how long-lasting this is. Verse 13 of chapter 1, in him you were also sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, which reminds us that nothing can take this away. So that's the gift. And because of the gift, then, we should do everything in chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. So why is it that we should live a dynamic life? Because God has given us a gift. 
He has given us this wonderful gift of salvation and our response, our, our offering back of thanksgiving is now to live this life well for the Lord. I've probably shared this illustration before. It's my, it's my favorite illustration, so I know it's worn out. But uh, imagine that I went and um, uh, bought my uh, wife a uh, diamond ring. And I have it, uh, Donna, but uh, for Valentine's tomorrow, a diamond ring like no diamond ring you have ever seen before. In fact, you have to wear sunglasses to even look at this diamond ring. It's so brilliant. And so she, she puts it on, she's happy, and uh, she's showing it off to everybody. And then uh, my insurance agent back there says, uh, you need to go, I mean, a diamond ring like that, you need to go and, and get it insured. And uh, so you need to get it, um, you need to get it uh, appraised. And so she goes and to the jeweler and, and they look at it and they say, well, best we can figure, uh, if you put, uh, two quarters in the little gumball machine, <laughs> you can get a ring like this because it's just made out of plastic. That's not even, it's not even a rock. It's just, it's just some shiny piece of plastic. Now, how disappointed would my wife be and how much trouble would I be in? Um, listen, God has given us this eternal life, this forgiveness, this gospel and it is so valuable yet sometimes we treat it as if it's just something that came out of a, a gumball machine we treat it as if it has no value but if God has given us something that is truly valuable and it is then we ought to cherish it and we ought to we ought to love it and and our response ought to be for us to live this dynamic life why should we do it because of the gift we should also do it because of the danger uh, we're going to talk in the next few weeks about spiritual warfare right here in the book of Ephesians. But let me just tell you this. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be alert, because your devil, the devil, your adversary, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We need to live a dynamic life. We need to be careful about this because there is... There's so much danger around us. There's so many pitfalls we can fall into. And we have, to, we, we have to be careful. We can't be casual. We have to be in the word, following the Lord, living a dynamic life. I remember a bunch of years ago, uh, we were, um, me and Donna and the girls were in Myrtle Beach. And we rented a pontoon boat uh, because I wanted to go up and down the intercoastal waterway and so we rented this boat, and uh, the, the outfit where we rented it, uh, they were giving me the warnings about driving the boat and please don't wreck the boat. And uh, he told me about uh, a bridge just a couple of miles north up the intercoastal waterway uh, where there are these jagged rocks below the waterline uh, during low tide. And he said, when you go through that area, especially if there are boats coming towards you, if you're not really, really careful, you'll scrape these pontoons on those jagged rocks and uh, it'll rip them open and the boat will sink. And he said, somebody did it a couple of months ago and the boat sank and they had to pay for the boat. So I don't know if he was exaggerating or not, but 
we, uh, we rented the pontoon. And when we got to that section that he was talking about, uh, listen, there were people behind us honking uh, uh, their boat horns and uh, giving us some really unique waves. Uh, <laughs> but we went so slowly through that. And, and, and I was just afraid I was going to hit one of those maybe imaginary rocks and rip that boat apart. And, uh, but listen, when we go through life, there are some rocks below the waterline that will rip your marriage apart, that can rip your walk with God apart, that can destroy your life. And we need to learn to live a dynamic life so we can avoid those dangers. Uh, we should also do it because of the brevity of life. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. And then the mission that God has given us. We need to live a dynamic life because God's called us to do some things that are very, very important. So how do we do it? Let's get into it quickly. How do we live a dynamic life? Number one, we must pursue wisdom. So you see it back there in verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. We must pursue wisdom. Now, here's what often people uh, don't know about wisdom. The difference between being a wise man and being a foolish man is not a matter of intelligence, and it's not a matter of knowledge. It's not even a matter of experience. A foolish man, that's a matter of choice. A wise man or woman, that is a matter of skill. Now, let me show you quickly what I mean. The Bible says in Psalm 14, 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. A fool is someone who looks at the wisdom of God that's available to him and he rejects it. If you're a fool, it's because you've chosen to be a fool. A wise person is someone who has a skill, the skill of wisdom. I think too often we think that wisdom is, well, it, it's, it's like a talent. You know, some people are just really good at, at some talent. They don't even have to practice. They're just good at it. Or, 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 it's, or, or that wisdom is like some knowledge that you just read a book and you've got the wisdom. But no, wisdom is a skill. Now, how do you have a skill? Skills have to be developed with time, study, and practice. It takes time. You don't develop a skill just instantly. It, you have to study. You have to have some information, some knowledge, and then you have to practice. You have to work at it to have some skill. If you want to play the piano, it's, you're going to have to be patient, okay? Because you're going to sound pretty bad the first six weeks, right? And, and, and maybe the first six months or first six years, I don't, I don't know. Uh, you're going to have to be patient. You can't just quit on day two because you can't play some great piano piece. So it's, if you're going to be a piano player, if you're going to have that skill, you're just going to have to have some, some patience. And then you're going to have to have some study. You're going to have to read a book or have a teacher or, or take a lesson or, 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 or watch a video. I, I don't know. You're going to have to have some, some information. You can't just figure it out on your own uh, just with, uh, with a piano and no books or anything. Uh, you're not going to get very far. And then you're going to have to practice. Over and over and over and over and over. You're going to have to practice. And somebody's going to have to listen to it while they're trying to watch the ball game. You're going to have to practice. You're going to have to practice. Okay, so how do we gain wisdom? I'm talking about our daughters. I'm talking about our daughters. Uh, how, how do we gain wisdom? Well, we've, it's going to take some time. If you're 
if you're 19 years old, listen, <laughs> you don't have much wisdom, okay? And now you may have much more wisdom than a 17 year old, but listen, that's not saying much, okay? So I, I think that this is a whole nother sermon, but the Bible says that there's some, um, there's, there's some honor given to those with gray hair. And um, that's, a, that's a biblical truth and it's a practical truth, right? Sometimes people say, Noel, if you could go back and talk to your college age self, what would you say? Well, I'll tell you what I would say. I would say, listen, you're not near as smart as you think you are. And um, that's probably what I'd say to my 54 age self, you know, looking back, I'll preach this message a little differently in 20 years. Uh, but understand that wisdom takes time. Wisdom also takes study. We're going to have to have a guide. And I'll show you in a moment what the guide is. And then it takes practice. It's not just that you have the information. I could read a book about playing the piano. I can read, I could read 10 books about playing the piano, but I wouldn't be able to play it. It's not just the information. It also takes some practice. Okay, so let's, let's figure that out in the Christian life. How do we gain wisdom? The Bible says there are three ways. Number one, walk with wise people. Walk with wise people. Proverbs 13, 20. Uh, you can read it. Uh, we're running short of time, uh, but uh, it tells us to walk with wise people. If uh, all your friends are fools, uh, you're, you, you will be if you're not, okay? Let's have some people in our lives that are wise. Uh, secondly, we should ask for wisdom. James 1.5 says, if you ask for wisdom, God will give it to you. Uh, the problem generally is not that God doesn't give it to us. The problem is we don't listen when he does. Uh, how does God give us wisdom? Just as an aside, when I pray for wisdom, and I do often, generally that wisdom comes through men and women who are in my life. They're spiritual men and women that I trust. And, um, and it's amazing when I've most needed wisdom, I've most had men and women who have poured into me. And I recognized when I've been a wise man, it has been the times I've recognized the value of those people. But then the third way to have wisdom according to the Bible is to hear and build it on God's word. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 7, end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says two men built a house, one on solid ground, one on sandy ground. The storm comes. You know what happens. The house on the sandy ground fails. Uh, the house on the stony ground, the house with a firm foundation survives. And, and Jesus says, as he introduces that parable, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like this. If we're going to live a dynamic life, we have to have wisdom. And wisdom comes from knowing God's word and practicing God's word. Not just being a Bible expert, uh, but, but reading God's word every day, studying God's word every day, and then asking, how does that intersect with my life and, and what am I going to change about how I live to match it up with what I read? That's practice. And so it comes from time, it comes from study, and it comes from, from practice. We must pursue wisdom. If your life is shipwrecked today, if your family is shipwrecked today, stop searching for somebody to blame 
whether it's you or somebody else, and start building a foundation by studying and embracing God's word. And then secondly, I'll go quickly, redeem the time. If we're gonna live a dynamic life, we must redeem the time. Now, we'll go back to what I said earlier. The Bible teaches that we all have plenty of time. Uh, now, if that's hard to believe, and I struggle with that, uh, it's not because we don't have enough time, it's because we're doing things that God doesn't want us to do, right? We're, it's not that the time is not available, it's that we're, we're investing the time in things different than what God wants us to invest our time into. The problem is not the time, the problem is our priorities. Why, why do you think people are so poor at managing their time? I think one, one reason is just because we're so earthly in our perspective. Uh, we just, we look around at this world and we think we gotta, we gotta do everything. Um, I can uh, remember a few times uh, when Don and I have gone and visited, my wife and I have gone to visit uh, cities. We like to just go to a city we've never been to before and, um, and just spend a day. And sometimes those have uh, created great, great memories. But sometimes you go to a city and there's too much stuff to do. I remember the first time Don and I went to Philadelphia. And uh, no reason, we just went to Philadelphia. We stayed a night or two. But we had one full day in Philadelphia. And so we pull it up online and there's like a hundred things to do and see in Philadelphia. And so that was the most miserable day because we got up in the morning and we felt like we will never be back to Philadelphia again in our lives. And we have got to do every single thing on the list. And we're running here and there. And there's the Liberty Bell, but don't look at it too much. We got to go see this and go see that. And listen, at the end of the day, we're exhausted. I don't remember anything we did except for run. But we approached it as if that day was all we had. And I'm afraid that one of the reasons we're so busy is we look at life and we think, I've got to squeeze everything out of this life. What we're forgetting is I'm going to live forever somewhere. I am a child of God. I will live on the new heaven, in the new heaven, and on the new earth forever and ever and ever. I don't have to squeeze everything out of today. I have an eternity. Uh, secondly, we're people pleasers. We have a hard time telling people no. Uh, third, we are afraid we'll miss out on something. Um, so how do we do better? How, how, how can we have more time? How can we not have more time, but, but use the time in the way that God wants us to use it? I think first of all, we trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord for our happiness and contentment and not our schedule. Trust the Lord for success and not our workaholic schedule. Uh, trust the Lord for success, for strength, not the things that we do. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink or, or your body, what you will wear. Is it your life more than food and your body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather in barns yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you even add one moment to his life by worrying? And the answer is no. Seek first, Jesus said, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will take care of themselves. We need to trust God. Your success, your happiness, your fulfillment is not going to come from your frantic activity. And um, 
I know my wife's going to be reading this back to me when I get home. I mean, this is hard to do, I know. But if, you, if you're going to have success and joy and peace, and it's going to come from the Lord. Let's trust the Lord. Uh, letter B, clean the clutter. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.10, this is one of those verses that uh, nobody's ever preached a sermon on, but we should. Uh, Paul writes at the end of this letter, Demas has deserted me. Well, wouldn't you hate to get to heaven and find out that Paul had written your name and your sins in the Bible that would stand for all eternity? Poor Demas. But Paul said, Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Why did that man fail? Because he loved the world. He had so much of the world in his life. He needed to pull up some of the weeds and clean up some of the clutter. Worldly things. Plan your priorities. Psalm 90, 12. And then finally, fight for margin. Uh, Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, um, verses 9 and 10, you are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. You must not do any work. Have you ever thought about why a battleship, you know what a battleship is? These big, massive ships uh, with these uh, armor on them, weight thousands of tons, why a battleship can float, but a pebble will sink. Have you ever wondered? Doesn't have anything to do with its weight. It has to do with its margin. The pebble doesn't have any margin. There's no air in it, right? There's no air. So, so that little pebble that might just weigh a few grams, it just sinks right to the bottom. But that battleship... The, though it weighs thousands of tons, it has margins filled with empty spaces and air. And that's what keeps it from, from, from sinking. It's because of the margin. Listen, some of our lives, we're sinking because we have filled up our lives to the brim with work and with activities and with, with entertainment and with this and with that. And so we have no margin. We have we, we have. We have removed any extra space in our lives. And so we just sink. As that battleship will float and it'll survive the, the greatest storm. But if you just took enough little Dixie cups of water and you went into that battleship and you filled up all of the spaces with water, you could sink that battleship with a Dixie cup. Because it'll sink as soon as it loses its margin. So Ephesians 5.15 says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. For the glory of God, may that characterize our lives. Head bowed, eyes closed, let me pray. Father in heaven, we do this because you have made a way through the death of Jesus Christ for our salvation. I pray that those here today that may not know you as their savior, that they'll call out to you today. They will be saved from their sins because of, because of what you've done and their trust in Jesus. But Father, for those that are our children of God, may we live a dynamic life because you're worth it. You're worthy of us to do that as an expression of our praise and thanks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.